It's been quite a week in our world. I got a call last Sunday afternoon uh, from my dad, uh, my dad telling me that his dad, my grandfather, my grandpa, as I call him, uh, who is 91, almost 92 years old, had been rushed by ambulance from his assisted living facility to the Billings Clinic emergency room at about five o'clock last Sunday morning. My dad told me, he said, Brian, grandpa's unconscious. Seems like he had a pretty severe heart attack, his kidneys are completely shut down, and grandpa, as a matter of fact, is on a ventilator, doesn't look uh, very good. And I was just like, bum, you know, you get those calls and you're just like, oh my word, because my grandpa is such a great guy, uh, like a rock star in my world. He flew a B-17 in World War II, he was a 25-year California Highway Patrol officer. Remember the old TV show Chips? Like, any of you... Like nine of you are old enough to remember, yeah. Grandpa was nothing like the Chips guys. He drove like a patrol car. Wasn't a motorcycle officer, but, but still, he was a California Highway Patrol officer. Spiritual pillar in our family's life. I grew up hunting and fishing all over the place with Grandpa. And you know this, like, no matter uh, how up in years people who were that close to get and are, you're never, ever ready to let them go, are you? Uh, no matter... They have the assurance of heaven or not. You're just not ready. And so I said, well, Dad, I I don't know what else to do. I'll I'll pray for Grandpa. I'll get myself to Billings as soon as I can on Monday. And I did. And pretty much hung by his bedside until Wednesday evening when I had to leave to come back home. And over the course of just those couple of days I was there, it was absolutely stunning how much Grandpa's trajectory was trending up. Uh, uh, Defying the doctor's wildest expectations, his kidneys came back online. He woke up regaining consciousness. His heart uh, is working pretty well, all things considered. On Wednesday morning, as a matter of fact, they took him off the ventilator. Uh, That afternoon, they moved him out of the ICU. They've got him up like walking around in a regular care room, and they're just continuing to like step his, yeah, yeah, thanks God for that. We're really grateful to the Lord for all that, and I was reflecting on that whole experience uh, with the Lord this week, and God really got my attention With the truth that, you know, I know that no matter what happens with grandpa, he's not ever going to get to the same place health-wise where he was in his 20s or 30s or 40s or 50s or right, so on. He's just not. He's 91, almost 92. His body is wearing out as they do. I found it really quite humorous. They took grandpa off the ventilator on Wednesday morning and he could finally talk. He'd been trying to talk through the ventilator and you know, that doesn't work very well. And so the nurse asked him, how old are you? And he said, I'm 91. He kind of growled at her. I'm 91, just nine more years to 100. And, and my grandpa's pretty stubborn like that, you know? Like if he decides he's gonna make it to 100, he's gonna try to make it. Yesterday he was fighting with my dad uh, saying, I want my checkbook and my wallet. I wanna pay my bill and get out of here. He was saying, I was like, I don't think you have that much money, grandpa, to pay that bill. So I know grandpa's not going to get back to the place physically that he was when he was a much younger man. But what I absolutely know, there's kind of a spiritual parallel to this. What I absolutely know is that our God, the God of the Bible, delights, doesn't he, in restoring and redeeming the stuff in our lives that's out of order, that's been damaged by sin, that's been somehow broken because of the brokenness of this world that we live in. 
Isn't that just true about our God? God absolutely delights in restoring and redeeming all of the broken things in our lives. And we're all people. And so we've got lots and lots of broken things in our lives. Damaged things, broken things, things that are in need of being touched by God, being set right by him, being restored by him back to the way that God intends for them to be. And for you, maybe it's a relationship or it might be a set of relationships. Maybe it's a a deep personal hurt that you've experienced at the hands of somebody who you care deeply about. Maybe it's something in your vocational world that's all out of whack and you're just like, oh, I have no idea how that's gonna play out. Maybe for you, it's your financial world that's you know sort of crumbling around you. Whatever it is. We're all people. And every single one of us walked into this room today in need of God's restoration, in need of God's redemption in some area of our lives. And culture-wide, worldwide, there's this like human trait that is about as broken as anything can possibly be in this world. And it's the way that our culture screams out, mine. Ever hear our world scream? Have you ever screamed out, it's mine? I know I sure have. And in a mine kind of culture, so much of life for so many people becomes about them getting, getting, getting as much as they possibly can. For a whole bunch of people, getting has become a sort of worldwide measuring stick for how we define success, their success, others' success, measuring income and assets, the more you get or the more you have, the more successful you are, and it all becomes about getting, 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 right? We all hear people say, some of us even say this, I need to get that, or I need to get that, or I need to get that. Now, please do not misunderstand me. There are absolutely a whole bunch of things that we like have to get, right? We have to go to the store to get food, and we have to go to the store to get clothes, and we have to go have a car, get a car so that we can get to school or get to our job. We have to get a house because we have to have shelter because it's freezing and snowing outside. But the brokenness of sin enters into all our getting where it becomes the sort of driving compulsion for so many people whereby they think that by all their getting that or that or that, that by their getting, they'll be happier. If I only get that, then I'll be set. If I only get that, then I'll be satisfied. If I only get that, then... You know how this goes. The law, however, of diminishing returns kicks in with the more we get, though, doesn't it? We find ourselves sort of chasing our tails, never satisfied, no matter how much, what things, what stuff, where we live, no matter how much we get, we're never satisfied. We all are smart people. Everybody, I believe, walking planet Earth today is a smart, intelligent person. We know the adage, money can't buy happiness, stuff can't buy happiness. Yet for a whole bunch of people, their actions and decisions declare just the opposite of that adage. I'll never forget when I was in elementary school, maybe third grade or fourth grade, my recollection is a little fuzzy back that far, but I recall saving up all of my allowance 
all the money I earned from greasing, get this, greasing log trucks on Saturday mornings. That was my job when I was in elementary school. I greased log trucks, and then uh, finally I got a promotion out of the grease department, and I got promoted sometime in later elementary school. I got to change tires on those log trucks, and then I got promoted again. I got to change the oil on those. You see the career trajectory I'm on here, working my way right up. But I greased log trucks, and I accrued all my money. I collected up all this money because I absolutely, get this, had to get the miniatures about this big miniature arcade game of the game, ready? Frogger. Right? You remember this game where like, you're a frog and you have to get across this very busy, like, it's just like this, right? cars zooming this way and that way and you've got to not get so much. There's a fantastic Seinfeld about Frogger. You remember this? You've got to watch that Seinfeld episode about Frogger. I had to have this little miniature arcade game. It's hugely popular. They made a miniature version of it. Of course, I I would love to have had the real arcade version of it, but there was no way that was going to happen. This little joystick on it, these little tiny buttons, I had to get it. And so on the appointed day, my mom and dad said, okay, we're going to go to the mall and we're going to get this. So I gathered up all my money and my little town where we lived did not have a store that carried anything like a miniature Frogger game. You could get groceries in my town and that was about it. So we had to go to the neighboring town. It was about an hour away. Had a big old fancy mall there and stuff. And so my parents drove me there and they took me to the toy store and I go in and I lay all my money down, probably nickels and dimes and pennies, you know, and I buy this thing, you know, it's probably $49.99 or something. And I get this thing. I'm like, oh yes, I finally got it. Take it back to the car, you know, and I can't play it in the, we have to drive an hour to get back home and I can't play the game in the car because I get like deathly car sick a little secret about me I get deathly car sick no reading for me no playing little video games so my parents locked it in the trunk so they didn't have to clean up a great big mess in the car because I was playing my game and it was the longest hour drive home ever it took like 10 hours you know and we get home and I get the game out of the trunk of the car and I rush into the house I tear the box open I jam the batteries in there and I start playing this game and I play it for about 35 minutes and then you know what I said this is really boring (laughs) like this is just one game on this little tiny console the joystick's real small the buttons are real small the screen's pretty lame and and it'd be real cool if I could play like three other games too but no this is just one game just Frogger dodging cars all day long in like 35 minutes I'm I'm over the thing I'm bummed I got all kinds of I saved all my money for this stupid thing I got buyer's remorse and I am bored I thought if I got this certain thing, I'd be so happy, but I was so incredibly wrong. And there's a whole bunch of people who think the very way I did back then. And so they chase and they run to get the things that they think are gonna make them happy. And guess what? They're not any happier. Not at all. Some of them are even in a worse place because they got like credit card bills and all kinds of buyers and like, what have I done, right? And that's just one symptom of the brokenness that plagues a whole bunch of people's finances and generosity and along comes God and he says I love you unconditionally and I love you so much that I actually want to redeem and I want to restore all that brokenness around all the mine mine all the getting 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 all the I have to have God says I want to heal that I want to redeem that I want to restore that and bring it back to the order in which it's supposed to be in And when it comes to the redemption and the restoration that God wants to bring 
to our finances and to our generosity, it all comes down to this very simple principle. It's on your notes page. You can follow along there. It comes down to the principle of first. It really all comes down to the principle of first. And I just want to tip you off here. Some of the things that we're going to talk about today, I've been learning from a guy named Robert Morris. You might write his name down. He wrote a book. You might write this down too, The Blessed Life. It's a tremendous read, one I highly, highly recommend. And I've been learning a lot from Robert Morris through this journey. I'd invite you right now to turn in your Bible, or if you have a Bible app, however you access your scripture, Exodus chapter 13, if you would. And before we get into the text, I want to say that I know this is an Old Testament scripture, and I know that some people in the church, they get kind of funny when we talk about money and the Old Testament, but I just want to say that the principle we're going to look at today, Exodus 13, it isn't like firewalled off in just the Old Testament of scripture. This principle we're going to talk about runs through the whole of the Bible, all the way from the Old Testament right through into the New Testament. Uh, It's not real complex. It isn't real complicated. It really boils down to this. It's about simply putting God first in our lives. That's what it all boils down to, putting God first in our lives. And some of you know this, that there's something so incredibly powerful about putting God first in our lives in such a way that when we do that, When we put God first, everything else just comes into order, doesn't it? Lots of us in our lives, we've seen this play out again and again. When you put God first, everything else has a way of just coming into order. Now, that doesn't mean that when we put God first that everything's going to be like easy street, no obstacles, no challenges. Absolutely not. Jesus promises us. He says, you're going to face obstacles. He assures us, remember, that we're going to face challenges. But he also said that what's true is that even in difficult seasons, everything, when God's first, everything comes into order because we've elected to put God first in our lives. And the inverse or the converse, however you want to say it, it's true as well. When God isn't first in our lives, everything else has a way of just sort of falling out of order, doesn't it? And lots of us know that experience as well. So let's look at the scripture, Exodus chapter 13, verses one and two. Then the Lord said to Moses, dedicate to me every firstborn among the Israelites. The first offspring to be born of both humans and animals belongs to me. There's a really seminal text of scripture. God's declaring, look, every firstborn human animal belongs to who? Him. Come on, who's him? God. That's exactly right. Every firstborn belongs to God. Doesn't matter, human, animal, God says it's mine. You're to dedicate it to me. You're to set it apart for me. That's very important to God. Get this. All the firstborn belong to God. Then go down to verses 12 and 13 of that same chapter, Exodus 13. You must present all firstborn sons and firstborn male animals to the Lord, for they belong to him. A firstborn donkey may be bought back from the Lord by presenting a lamb or young goat in its place. But if you do not buy it back, you must break its neck. Now that's gnarly, isn't it? That's God's way of saying you're going to lose it anyway. If you don't do this, you're going to lose it anyway. However, you must buy back every firstborn son. So we're going to look at three things together today. The first one is this. The firstborn is sacrificed or redeemed. The firstborn is sacrificed or redeemed. For example, if you lived in Old Testament days and you raised animals for a living, if you were a rancher, you might call them, every time your animal or animals had a firstborn and if it was a clean animal, well, then you had to sacrifice that firstborn to God. 
If it was an unclean animal, then you had to redeem it. This is where the donkey thing comes in because the donkey is an unclean animal. Then you had to redeem it by the sacrifice of one of those clean animals that God spells out in various texts throughout the Old Testament. So the lamb is a clean animal. The donkey is an unclean animal. And we're going like, okay, that sounds really nice, Brian. I'm not an Old Testament rancher. So what's this got to do with me, right? Here's what it has to do with us. It's God establishing a pattern for us, his people, all the way back in the book of Exodus for people who call ourselves the sons and daughters of the most high God. For the people who claim to know and follow Yahweh, the God of the Bible, these are the patterns he's establishing for how his economy, for how his kingdom, how his people, us, are created to live all the way from Exodus to us today 2016 Bozeman, Montana. So if the firstborn then is clean, it has to be sacrificed. If it's unclean, then it has to be redeemed with the sacrificial offering of a clean animal. Everyone got that? Y'all clear on that? Amen? Amen. That was moderately, you know. Now, we're going to move on. A couple of questions for you. This will require your participation. Were we human beings, were we born clean or unclean? Unclean. Good job. We were born into sin, weren't we? Our sin nature is like hardwired into us. How do we know that? Show of hands, how many of your parents in the room? Yep, lots of parents in the room. Here's the question, deep theological question, lots riding on this. Parents, did you ever have to teach your kids how to do bad things? No, right? You didn't have to teach your kids how to disobey. How many of you had to teach your kids to tell you no when you told them to do something? Absolutely not. Because why? We all came out of the womb, us included, not just our kids. We all came out of the womb sinners. We all came out of the womb unclean. We're naturally inclined to do not the right thing. We're naturally inclined to do the wrong thing. That, by the way, this is a freebie. That's part of what makes parenting such a tough assignment, frankly. Because we're actually, get this, fighting against DNA to teach our kids to do the right thing. We're fighting against DNA every single day because we're all born unclean. Now, second question for you. This is easy. Was Jesus born unclean or clean? Clean. That's exactly right. Do you see how this works? The clean, capital C in this case, the case of Jesus Christ. The clean... Jesus had to be sacrificed so that the unclean, that's us, could then thereby be redeemed. You see that? All the way back in the book of Exodus, God is setting this thing up for us. And we're going to take it a step further even. Jesus, as we all know, is God's firstborn, isn't he? He's God's firstborn. Now watch this. Jesus is God's tithe. You get that? Jesus is God's tithe. Now notice, God didn't say, wait, all you ranchers, until you have 10 sheep accrued, and then give me one of them, and go ahead if you want to, give me the lousy one that keeps getting out of the pen and getting into the flower bed, God didn't set it up that way, did he? God does not set up his economy this way. 
whatsoever. Instead, God says, give me what? The first one before you ever even have anymore. And when you do that, God says the rest are blessed. The rest are redeemed. And so when we talk about the tithe that we give to God, God actually means for the tithe to be the first 10%. It's another one of the myriad ways that we put God first in our lives. God does not mean that we pay all our bills, then see if there's enough left over for God. He means for the first 10% to be his. And then he blesses the rest. Jesus is God's tithe. And God didn't wait to see if we'd clean up before he gave Jesus, did he? Not a chance. The Bible tells us that God gave Jesus when? When we were still, here's one way to say it, sitting in our very dirty, messy diapers. That's when God gave Jesus. When we were still very much sinners. When we were mocking him when we were spitting on him, when we were nailing him to a cross. Jesus is God's tithe. And God gave, Jesus, as Romans says, in hopes that we, everybody, would believe. He didn't wait. And we don't wait when we tithe either. We don't wait to see if God's gonna bless us and then decide if we're gonna give him 10% or not at the end of the leftovers. That's not faith. God puts it like this in the book of Malachi, chapter three, verse 10. One of my favorite texts on this topic. Bring all the tithes into the storehouse. That's the church, by the way. We'll talk about that in a minute. So there will be enough food in my temple. If you do, says the Lord of heaven's armies, I will open the windows of heaven for you. I will pour out a blessing so great you won't have enough room to take it in. Try it, God says, put me to the what? Test. God actually says, you can test me. You can test me in this tithing deal. And believe me, there's not another area in the whole of the Bible where God tells us to test him except when it comes to tithing. Not a single one. This is it. And he says, look, test me in this and see if I don't pour out a blessing so big that you won't even have the capacity to take it all in. So the firstborn, first principle, the firstborn is sacrificed or redeemed. Second principle coming up for you on your notes page on the screen. The first fruit is what? Offered. The first fruit is offered. Proverbs chapter three, starting in verse nine. Honor the Lord with your wealth and with the best part of everything you produce. Then he will fill your barns with grain and your vats will overflow with good wine. Doesn't that sound fantastic? Some of you are like, yes, absolutely. And then Exodus 23, 19. As you harvest your crops, bring the very best of the first harvest to the house of the Lord your God. A couple of really important principles in view here. First, do you notice where the tithe goes? I referenced it just a second ago. The tithe goes where? To the church, to the Lord's house. The tithe goes to the church. We don't tithe to parachurch ministries. We don't tithe to mission organizations. We tithe to the church. Now get this, important distinction here. We tithe to the church. We give offerings 
over and above our tithe to other ministries and other mission opportunities and such. But God's real clear. The tithe comes into the Lord's house. And then second principle. You notice what the text says. We, what's the word on your notes page on the screen right now? We bring. Bring the first 10% into the house of the Lord. What you notice when you talk about the tithing conversation is that God never uses the word give when he talks about tithing because you can't give the thing that doesn't belong to you. You can only bring it to the house of God. And here's what God's saying to us. If you bring me the first, then the rest are blessed. And we see this again and again and again all throughout the sacred text of scripture. How many of you may have run across this passage before? Genesis chapter four, starting in verse three. We'll read it together. When it was time for the harvest, Cain presented some of his crops as a gift to the Lord. Abel also brought a gift, the best portions of the firstborn lambs from his flock. The Lord accepted Abel and his gift, but he did not accept Cain and his gift. How many people have run into that text before and gone, what in the world is, why is God playing favorites with Abel and not Cain. What's the deal? Fantastic question. Lots of collective head scratching from lots of people. Lots of people saying, I have no idea what's going on. Check this out. If God's ideal is that the firstborn belongs to him, if God's ideal, ideal is that the first fruits belong to him, let's read this text again with that in view. When it was time for the harvest, Cain presented what? some of his crops as a gift to the Lord. Abel also brought a gift, the best portions of the firstborn lambs from his flock. And the Lord accepted Abel and his gift, but he did not accept Cain and his gift. It becomes really quite clear what's going on there, isn't, doesn't it? Abel's raising animals. He's a rancher. He brings the firstborn. Cain is what? He's a farmer. He brings what? some of his crops. You notice that he doesn't bring the first fruits. He brought some of his crops. And maybe the way you'd say it is to say it another way. You'd say it like this. He brought, Cain brought what he wanted when he wanted. Does that resonate? Cain brought what he wanted when he wanted. Now, this is a guilt-free zone. We're not pulling out any sticks, hammering on anybody. This is a guilt-free zone. I'm just going to say this, and this might land a little hard. There's a whole bunch of Christians who live that very same way, aren't there? I'll give what I want when I want. And we go like, wait a minute. If God's going to be first in our lives, we can't do that with any area of our lives. You don't try doing that with your marriage, do you? Those of you who are married, I'll love my spouse how I want, when I, how's that gonna go? Abysmally, right? It's not gonna work. Why isn't it gonna work? Because God, see, he can't ever be second. You get this? God can't ever be second. Now, personally, we can decide to have God at some other place of priority in our lives besides first place, but that doesn't actually mean that God's in second place because God can't be second because God's always first, always first. And God says, so give to me first. 
Because when you do, or let me say it this way, bring to me first, because when you do, I'll bless the rest. So the firstborn is sacrificed or redeemed. The first fruit is offered. Last but not least, the tithe is first. The tithe is first. Leviticus 27.30. One-tenth of the produce of the land, whether grain from the fields, fruit from the trees, belongs to the Lord and must be set apart. Some texts use the word consecrated. Set apart to him as holy. It's his. Now here's how this really practically fleshes out. If you get paid, let's say you get paid $1,000. And let's say you get paid $1,000 cash, crisp, new $100 bills. What does the word tithe in Hebrew mean? What's it mean? Tithe means what? 10%. That's exactly right. Tithe means 10% in Hebrew. And so you have these 10 crisp $100 bills. You just got paid. First question here, you got your 10 $100 bills. They're nice, new. Here's your question. What's the tithe? How much is the tithe? $100 is the tithe. That's exactly right. Second question. If you have 10 $100 bills in your hands, which one is the tithe? It's the first one. Now, is it from left to right, or is it from right to left? It's a little confusing. So how do you know which one is the first one? You know this? It's the first one that leaves your hand. That's the first one. The first one that leaves your hand is the tithe. The tithe then isn't just an afterthought after everything else is tidied up, taken care of, paid. Let's see if there's some leftover for God. No way. Because if we do that, then we're giving God's part like to the mortgage company or to Costco or heaven forbid to the trash collection company or something. And understand, none of those companies, great as they may be, have the power to bless you in any way whatsoever. They cannot, they wish they could, but they can't. So you see, putting God first in our lives means that we put him first in every single way, not in a leftover kind of way. God deserves so much more than just my leftovers, our leftovers. And so he says, my part comes first. And folks, this isn't like a legalistic thing. Not at all a legalistic thing. It's an in your heart, in our heart thing. Is God first? Is God first? Just one more thing and we're gonna close up with this. We started in Exodus 13. We stopped in Exodus 13, 13. I want us to read on just a little bit. Verse 14, verses 14 and 15 as a matter of fact. And in the future, the text says, your children will ask you, what does all this mean? Right? All this stuff about clean and unclean and sacrificing firstborn, what does this mean? And then you will tell them, with the power of his mighty hand, the Lord brought us out of Egypt to the place, the place of our slavery. Brought us out of Egypt, the place where we were enslaved making bricks. Pharaoh stubbornly refused to let us go. So the Lord killed all the firstborn males throughout the land of Egypt, both people and animals. That is why I now sacrifice all the firstborn males to the Lord, except that the firstborn sons are always bought back. Here's why we're talking about this like this. It's this right here. 
This is why we're saying it's worth it to press onward in generosity. It's worth it to press onward in tithing because get this, we're setting the example for our kids. We're setting the example for the next generation who are not the church of the future, who are the church of right now. That's what God's saying. He's going, look, you're gonna get to teach your kids the importance of why you do this whole sacrifice of the firstborn thing, and that is one of the most important lessons you could ever possibly teach your kids. It's worth it. So just imagine with me that one day in the days of Exodus, a little boy comes running into your house. You and your family live there. Your son, maybe it's your daughter, is all worked up, all excited. And he or she says, Mom, Dad, the sheep is having a lamb. It's her first lamb. And Mom and Dad are like, woo, all excited. And so they head out of their little house toward the pen, the lean-to where the sheep were kept. But on the way out the door, you know what Dad does? Dad grabs a knife and he takes it with him. And the little family, your little family, you gather all around the sheep pen and you're looking at this new little lamb, the miracle of life. Ah, oh, look at the little lamb. He's standing up and he's so cute. And while you're Googling over the lamb, dad's going around through the gate and he grabs that lamb by the hind legs and he takes the knife and slits the lamb's throat and the lamb dies. Now your little son or your little daughter is watching dad and your little son or your little daughter, their wheels are turning and they're going, whatever you do, don't mess with dad. I don't know what that little lamb did, but I don't want to do that. I'm not going to do that. But over and over and over again, as your son, as your daughter, as your sons and as your daughters grow up, your kids see this over and over and over again. Every time the lamb has her firstborn, it's the same deal. Dad kills the firstborn. And over time, that adds up, doesn't it? Over time, that tithe adds up and little kids look on and as they become bigger kids and they understand the power of money and they understand what money is and they understand commas and decimal points and all that, they begin to go like, that's a lot of money. Why in the world would we do that? Why in the world would we kill that? Why in the world would we give all of that away? And God's saying, look, when your kid comes to you and says, why? You get to turn around to your kid and say, son, you get to turn around to your kids and say, daughter, I need to tell you something about our family that you might not have known before now. And it's that we haven't always been in the ranching business. As a matter of fact, we didn't used to have anything we used to be slaves, slaves of Pharaoh in Egypt. We were in bondage. And then you get to go, but God, but God with his mighty hand delivered us and we're free. We are set free and therefore we happily give to God because every single thing we have comes from him. It all came from him. It's his. And we just give some, we just bring some of it back to him. Take your stuff and set it aside if you would. And I just invite you to close your eyes and 
bow your heads, and maybe you just reflect on this question with the Lord. God, what is it that you're saying to me today? God, what is it from all this that we've talked about? What is it that you've got for me? might I just suggest that what God might have for every single one of us is that we would put him first in everything. Everything including finances, everything including tithe, everything including generosity. God, we're just thrilled beyond measure that we get to look across our lives and go, but God, by his mighty hand, set us free. And we worship you and we praise you and we thank you from the depths of our souls that that's true, that you did all of that, that you set our feet in this new place And then, God, that we get the privilege of living life your way. And we acknowledge, Jesus, that it's difficult to put you first in every area of our lives. It just is. But, God, by your strength, by the same power that you give to us, the same power that raised Jesus Christ from the dead, we're going to keep after doing just that, putting you first in relationships, in vocation, in studies, and even God in finance. We're gonna put you first in everything because you're worth it. And it's just one way we express our gratitude to you for all that you've done for us. We say thank you. Only God could have done what you did. And so, Jesus, we worship you. Thanks for listening. We hope this time has allowed you to dig out more of who God has made you to be. If you made some kind of spiritual decision today and are interested in what's next, we'd love to connect with you. For more information or to get in touch, please visit journeyweb.net. If you're interested in supporting our ministry, you can give online at journeyweb.net. Thanks.